I, uh, that song always reminds me. I was uh, at a church in Dallas for a long time. It was a bit more diverse than the churches here. And they had about seven more verses to that song that ain't in the book. And we'd sing that for about ten minutes. And it just uh, takes me back. I like that song. So thank you. Um, and thank you all for being here. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, it's always nice when we got the little babies cooing and crying. I just, uh, it's, uh, you know, about three or four hour mark it gets old, but the first few minutes are pretty cute still. Um, so this morning, uh, we're going to kind of get towards the end of our study in Colossians. Uh, we'll be looking at the sort of his closing message at the end of the book at Colossians 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we're going to look at the, the end of Colossians 3, kind of running through the very beginning of chapter 4. And we'll make a, a few comments just about the very end of the book. But there's a, a few distinct ideas in this section that we're going to cover today uh, that essentially make up kind of his closing words, his, his, his last words to this method, the church in Colossae. In all book, as we've been studying it for the last several weeks, we've talked about just the importance of Christ. That's, that's been his theme. He lays it out in chapter 1. He expands on it in chapter 2, talking about why Christ is important, why his teachings are important, why Christ alone is important and that his teachings are the word of God. And in here, in Colossians 3, he talks a little bit about how those teachings really impact us. Why are those so important? We know Jesus is the Messiah. He is, he is the Son of God. This is what he taught us. And now he's going to tell us why, why those teachings are so important. And we're going to talk about really what it means to live as a Christian, uh, to, to put on Christ, what that means and how that, how that changes us. A... Uh, a few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, we were studying Galatians. As we got toward the end of Galatians, uh, we noticed that this is kind of a common way that Paul ends his letters. He, he, he sort of seems to give these lists of instructions that almost feel like kind of a rapid-fire sort of do's and don'ts. And sometimes when we're studying them, you can almost just kind of skim through it like this bulleted list and just sort of like, okay, you know, this is just general guidance. But I, I want us to really kind of understand this in the context of Colossians. because We've been studying this for a long time. We've been working our way through the letter. There's a reason he ends his letter this way. We, we've talked over and over about how the message of Colossians is Christ. And believe it or not, in Colossians 3.18, when he starts talking about husbands and wives and children and parents and masters and, and servants, the message is still Christ. He, he's communicating this idea that if, if you really believe that this Jesus who was crucified and rose again is God, and you really believe that his, his teachings are the word of God then those teachings should cause you to live differently. Husbands and wives should live differently. Parents and children should live differently. Uh, masters and their servants should live differently. And so that's really going to be our emphasis this morning as we talk about these ideas of Christian living. Uh, I want us to think about what it really means to live differently as Christians than the world around us. So we're going to begin in, in Colossians 3 at about verse 18. Uh, Colossians 3.18 and uh, we'll just kind of work by this a couple verses at a time. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. This for me is uh, <laughs> probably one of those difficult to handle passages. If we're talking about cultural context and uh, everything going on, I think we've got to be careful for it. So, some passages are difficult because they're hard to understand or they're really complex uh, I find this is difficult for the opposite reason, because it's actually pretty straightforward. And so how we handle it, how we talk about it, and our discussions about it can be a little uh, contentious at times. 
Wives, submit to your husbands. A lot of discussion about those words, I think. What was funny is when I read this, really, as a husband, my attention is actually drawn to the second verse, husbands love your wives. Uh, But obviously we know culturally, especially in this day and age, and by this day and age I guess I really mean about the last 50 years, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about what exactly this means in verse 18. There's been a lot of teaching, both you know, usage in context, out of context, correctly, maybe incorrectly, about this verse. And so uh, it's not really the goal of our message just this morning to talk exclusively about this. But I want to take just a moment and acknowledge this kind of issue and talk about what this word, submit, means. There's not a lot of wiggle room in the translation like there is in some passages. Uh, just about every English translation says submit. A few say uh, be subject to, which is really the same thing. But there's a couple different places we, we find this wording. It's in 1 Corinthians, Titus, 1 Peter, all used about wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, but it's actually used a couple different ways in the Bible too. And so I want to mention a few of those passages uh, just to shed light on, on what this means. In Ephesians 5, as we studied many weeks ago, when Paul was talking about the church in around Ephesians 5.19 through about 5.21, uh, he talks about that we should address one another in psalms and hymns, as, as we're very aware about. Uh, to give thanks always. And at the end, he closes that section talking about the church. He says, submit to one another. And he's talking about the church, uh, the Christians in general, brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, submit to one another. First uh, Peter 5 addresses young men. First Peter 5, 5 says, young men in the same way, submit yourselves to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. When we look at all of these other contexts and the way the Bible uses this word that we translate submit, I think it's pretty clear, it becomes clear, uh, that the idea is not do whatever this other person tells you to do. It's not some sort of blank check for servitude. or uh, It's even worth noting that when we look at the context of it in Colossians, he tells children to obey their parents, he tells servants to obey their masters, but he actually uses a different word and he says wives, submit to your husbands. He doesn't say obey your husbands. There's not necessarily quite the same parallels drawn between the, uh, the parent-child relationship as I've heard some people maybe talk about. He uses different words and I think it's important to, uh, to recognize that he uses them intentionally. It's certainly not a call for all women everywhere to be subservient to the men in their lives even though I, I would say I've heard uh, that, be, that point be made before. As I mentioned, people have pointed out that, well, he talks about wives and husbands, and he talks about uh, uh, parents and children, and he talks about masters and slaves. Therefore, uh, the, the, the relationship between a husband and wife should somehow draw parallels to these other relationships in the section. And I'm not sure that's correct. I think his teaching on wives and husbands is best understood uh, through his very similar writing on this topic when we were looking at Ephesians 5, uh, not all that long ago, which we studied more in depth. And in Ephesians 5.22... When Paul starts his section in Ephesians, he says, Husbands, submit to your wives, just like he does in Colossians. But at about verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In the same section in Colossians 3.19, he does say, Husbands, love your wives. But I really like the wording in Ephesians where he says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. I said this a few weeks ago when we studied this idea, and I'll say it again here, but I think when you read those two things, the wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives as 
Christ loved the church. I think husbands are really the ones called to the higher standard in the sense of the, the harder standard. A harsher standard, I might even say. Christ died for the church. He says he gave himself up. He doesn't just mean that he was somehow submissive or passive or uh, emptied himself. But I mean, we, we know literally Christ died for the church. And that's, that is the level of love that he calls husbands to have for their wives. For some reason, in most circles, it seems like Colossians 3.18 gets a lot more attention than Colossians 3.19. But they are both very much scripture. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It's probably not all I have to say, but it's all I'm going to say at the moment for, for husbands and wives. We'll move on, and we'll, uh, we'll keep reading. Look at, uh, look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. We're going to get specifically into children and parents in a moment, but I want you to start noticing when you're reading this section that there's a, there's a pattern that starts to emerge here. He, he's essentially laying out these ideas to, to live peaceably. Don't be contentious. Don't be argumentative. Don't seek out fights. Don't pick fights with one another. Don't rile each other up. Don't be disobedient or malicious just for the sake of doing so. I think one of the reasons... When I read this passage, I, I find it hard to sort of stand up here and tell people, you need to be submissive, is because if someone told me to do that, especially without context or particular reason, uh, my gut instinct is, what? What? Why? I don't want to do that. And I say that not to say that that's somehow a good reaction. If anything, it tells you what I was like as a teenager, I guess. But there is context and there is reasons. But the Bible does call all Christians to some form of submission to authority, to Scripture, to God, to His commandments. And so I think the passage really, really calls out that kind of attitude that I would have. It's kind of, I don't want to say natural because I don't want to get into that, but I, I have almost this natural desire to be rebellious, you might say. It's sinful, truthfully. And so when the Bible talks about submission, there's, there is this idea between husbands and wives, but there's also this idea that all of us as Christians need to be submissive or to submit to the authority of God. And so what that means is when we have these ideas, whether we're looking at the relationship between a husband and wife or the relationship between children and parents or the relationship between servants and masters, I think he's calling us to not be that way. To, to not be uh, rebellious, to not be malicious, to not be disobedient. And, and so these verses on Christian living, I think, sometimes mean we need to fight these reactions that we might find ourselves drawn to. I mean, sometimes I need to fight the way that I might want to act out when someone tells me to do with something or tells me to act a certain way. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Like most of Paul's uh, instruction in this passage, he's not just making up on the fly, but he's actually echoing earlier teaching. In this case, one of the earliest teachings in the Bible, Exodus twenty twelve: Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I've, I've heard people say that the fifth commandment is the first one, uh, it, the first with a promise. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land. 
Sometimes I wonder if it wasn't just the Lord's way of giving permission to all mothers to use the phrase I heard a thousand times growing up, and that was, I can take you into this world, I will bring you out of it. <laughs> I think that might have been the, the Hebrew-Jewish way that teaching was communicated, I'm not sure. Paul's direction to, to, to children here is hardly new. But his words for parents, in a sense, kind of is. He says, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. I think that's what makes this, this section here so interesting. He calls for wives to submit their husbands, children to obey their parents, servants to obey their masters. But the, the old law did that as well. Not only did the law do that, but really the culture they were in would have reinforced all of those ideas. Paul's hardly laying out new uh, new teaching when he is explaining that masters of servants have authority or husbands over wives have authority or parents over children have authority. But I think the interesting part of this teaching is that he also gives commands uh, to the people in the other position in that relationship. When you look at this passage and you, especially when you look at it in light of the whole teaching and the ministry of Jesus, there is a powerful countercultural message of love and grace all throughout Scripture. And I think it's very interesting that in this passage here, Paul, Paul addresses those issues of authority that might be familiar to us or typical or cultural. But he also addresses the people who would be in, in places of authority or traditional power. And he seems to speak to those people and he says, don't abuse it. Just because you have authority or some sort of power in a relationship, don't abuse it. Whether you're the head of a household, a, a parent of a child, a master of bond servants, he, he, he's saying it is good for you not to overly exhort this authority that you have. It is good for you as a Christian, even though you are in a position of power, to maintain good, peaceable relationships with others. And this is an idea we see echoed all throughout the scripture as well, to live peaceably among all in Romans 12. First Peter calls us to, to be aware of our, our behavior among the Gentiles so that they will recognize our good deeds. <coughs> Paul here is calling people in specific stations in life to be peaceable and loving in your marriage, in your family, in your household, in your workplace. And when I think about it, I, to me, verse 21 really exemplifies that attitude that he is calling those in these positions of power to to have, the attitude that he's calling them to have. Fathers, especially when we talk about young children, and in a sense this goes for both parents, but I, I think I can probably speak to maybe uh, at least my own upbringing that uh, the disciplinarian when it came to physical punishment, maybe it's just because he had two raucous boys, but uh, was, was my father. And when I think about it, fathers really do, especially when we're talking about young children, you have ultimate power over that young child. And this is something I think about more and more, I guess, as I have a young child. When I'm talking about young, I mean really, really young. Their life is literally in your hands. If you don't feed them, if you drop them, if you, if you don't take care of them, if you don't let them get the sleep or the rest that they need to get, and even though that child becomes older and they might not be physically dependent on you for their every need. So when does that happen? About 30 from what I hear, by the way. He says you still have that power. 
And I think about, I think about certain moments from my childhood. Um, around 13, probably, I discovered how to really push my dad's buttons, which is not a good thing. But he also kind of knew, where my brother and I, he kind of knew how to push him back. And I think at times when I think about my experience or the experience others have had, I think Paul is really speaking to something with verse 21 when he says, you have so much power as a parent over your children. Be very, very careful how you use it. Be very careful. All of this, all of these things that he's talking about, he's talking about being effective as Christians. And what do I mean by being effective? I, th- I think of kind of an old saying I heard a long time ago when it comes to interpersonal relationships that sometimes you've got to choose whether you want to be right or you want to be effective. And it's one thing for us to sit in a relationship with people, especially if you're a, a parent or a master of servants or a, a father or a husband. You can, you can sit in your relationship and that authority that you have, and you can sit there and be right all day long if you want to be. But if you want to be effective as a Christian, Sometimes that means being loving, uh, not provoking or exasperating, dealing with people justly and fairly. When we talk about uh, being effective as Christians, I think of influence. I think of the influence we have on the people around us. All of this is talking about living in such a way that when people see you, they see Christ. That when people see how you live, when people see how you treat your spouse, when they see how you treat your children, when they see how you treat the people at your workplace, they see your faith. That you don't have to tell them, oh, I go to church here, or I, I believe in God this way, and I believe these things. That they, when they look at you, they see everything they need to know about what you believe. Paul begins chapter 4. He gives very similar instructions as I've kind of mentioned in passing here already. But in, uh, in chapter 4 verse 1 he says, Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly since you know that you too have a master in heaven. When I read of that, I think of forgiving others as you yourself have been forgiven. I think of all the many parables about the servant and the master that are in the Gospels. That when you deal with people, remember that there is someone you would like to, <laughs> to judge you not so harshly. Be careful when you judge because you will be judged. Forgive because you will be forgive. Then, he says, think about your own standing in relation to God. Think about your own brokenness, your own sin, your own desire and need for forgiveness. Think about that in every relationship you have. And I think it kind of puts things into perspective. I mentioned something earlier that I, that I want to go back and emphasize for just a second, and that is that, that we, we should absolutely do these things and listen and obey these commands um, because the Bible says so. That, that's like the clear, to, to me that's almost the top level obvious reason we should act this way. The Bible says to do something, that's how we should do it, pretty simple. But I think there's a deep, deeper reason. And if you read all of Colossians or you even read more of Scripture, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. There's this idea that when you become a Christian and you put on Christ, when you become a member of the church, that everything you do reflects that. Everything you do. 
the very top of this section in verse 17, Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Over and over, Paul uses this phrase that we talk about a lot, that we put on Christ in baptism. I mean, everywhere you go, I, I think about it like wearing a, a shirt from, from a company. Or if you work somewhere, a lot of times they might give you a little polo. If you're a little store associate working at Target or if you work in a professional job, they might give you a little polo. It's got a little logo on it. Well, if you leave work and you clock out, you either change or you start to really think about what you're going to go do next, I hope, right? Because you have put on that company, that name, and you think, well, everything I do might reflect this, so I might be careful where I go, where I might get videoed or someone take a picture of me doing something ridiculous or foolish. And Paul says, everywhere you go, you have put on Christ. So that means in all of your relationships, you should reflect being a Christian. The simple thing is to do these reasons because the Bible says so. But I think the deeper reason is because we have powerful influence over the people around us, or at least we can. And really the truth is uh, we are influencing people around us whether we know it or not, <laughs> whether we mean to or not. When people see us, they see the church. When they see you and they know what you believe and they know where you go to church on Sunday, they look at you and they are seeing every one of your actions through that lens. Which means everything we do, whether we mean for it to or not, does reflect in some way on what we believe. Is that influence good or is it bad? Are we, are we really drawing people closer to Christ or are we making them another one of those people who says, I don't, I don't go to church because I know people that go to church. And I'm clearly not missing anything. At the end of the day, I think if we want to convince people that Christianity is a transformative faith, we should be living transformed lives. Which means submitting, loving, obeying, not provoking, working wholeheartedly as not for men, as the text says, dealing with people justly and fairly. If we do that, then I think we truly are, as verse 17 says, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. As Paul closes his letter and as, as we sort of begin to wrap up, I, I want us to notice just very briefly that he, he mentions a number of specific people. And when he closes his letter, he mentions these people by name and he mentions their, their specific needs. And he, and he says one thing over and over, and that is he says, pray for us. Pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. In fact, he says, pray that doors will be opened. And I want us to notice just how connected this church is how connected Paul is with these people. Even though he's not near them physically, he knows their names, and he, he says, send greetings from this person and say hi to this person for me and, and ask this person how this is doing and tell them that this is going well. And They're a prayerful, connected church, and that is the church we should strive to be. If you're unfamiliar with how the church operates, this is really a pretty good example, probably worthy of further discussion. Since... Prayerfulness is how Paul closes his letter. It seems appropriate to me to, to end this morning with a prayer. And afterwards, Eli is still going to come up and lead us in a song. But I want to take a moment as we close, and I just want to pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity.